What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles. Today, we've got an extra special one for you. So we're actually sitting down with Daniel Jones. He is a software developer, a miner, uh, and he is one of the earliest known OGs uh, in the Bitcoin industry or in the crypto industry. Um, Bitcoin community, I should say, and uh, you know he's kind of watched the the whole industry progress over the years. I would say, um, and there's some positives and some negatives. We're gonna get into all of it. You know this this episode is just a mind blowing episode. It was very eye opening in my opinion. But before we get into all of that. Do just want to say thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you are listening to this on a podcasting platform, I would head over to YouTube. This is another one of those video interviews, and it's nice to see his face while he's talking. Um, makes it a little more interactive, I would say. And then the second thing is I do just want to give a quick shout out to the sponsor, Crypto.com. They're keeping the lights on. Very thankful for them. Uh, they've been doing a bunch of cool stuff since this whole, I guess, pandemic, stay inside nonsense started uh, to really help the community out. The first is that uh, they've waived the credit card fee. It's a 3.5% credit card fee. Uh, they've completely waived it. You can go buy crypto with your credit card. Not many people would recommend it. We actually talk about it a little bit on this episode, which is funny. Um, what else do they have? They, that credit card, the Visa MCO credit card, uh, it's got a bunch of perks. You get 5% cash back on every purchase, pay for your Netflix and Spotify. Uh, they've added a couple more perks to really help you out while you're stuck at home. Uh, you'll get 10% cash back on grocery purchases and up to 20% cash back on all delivery, food delivery. So if you're like me, you're sitting at home constantly ordering food breakfast lunch and dinner a nice cool 20 percent off every one of your purchases uh if you're using the mco visa credit card um see i'm trying to think what else there's a couple other things um that fundraising platform the sync the syndicate just had their ethereum sale you could get 25 percent off uh, you guys are really missing out if you're not participating in these sales uh, and then the last thing is they've got the crypto earn, which you guys should be participating in if you have any crypto on an exchange. You can earn, they're currently bumping it up, you can currently earn 6.5% on your Bitcoin, 5% on your Ethereum, uh, and I believe up to 12% on some of your stable coins. So, for example, I had some USDC sitting on an exchange, I was waiting to buy decided to send it on over uh, and you can do I think uh, you know there's one where you can just leave it on there you get paid weekly um, you get interest paid weekly uh, there's another one that's a month long term and then there's a three month term the longer the term is the higher your interest rate is uh, so again if you have coins sitting on an exchange send it on over let it sit there let it earn some extra money for you now I'm sorry that that took so long. It always does because they got a lot going on. Uh, but now let's get to the episode with Daniel. Yeah, go ahead. 
All right, perfect. Uh, so, Daniel, before we get into kind of the discussion today, can you just give us a little bit of background on yourself, who you are, uh, what you were doing before you got into the industry, and then maybe a little bit of early days with your Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin journey, if you can? Yeah, sure. So I'm a software engineer. Uh, before I was in Bitcoin uh, or anything crypto related, I was writing software, uh, doing a lot of consulting for architecture, things like that. I still do that. Um, the early days of Bitcoin were uh, for myself and others that were involved that were it was never as picturesque as people like to paint it as today. Uh, there were plenty of problems back then, such as peers shutting down, bootstrapping off IRC problems with, you know, the code base and things like that. And then also, you know, it, it was a much different world, you know, like, and I got to watch it evolve. Um, and I got to see it go to shit real quick too. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think everyone likes to think of the early, early days as this beautiful time when everyone was getting along and everything was perfect. Uh, Fuck but no, everybody <laughs> hated each other. <laughs> like people would knock each other's peers offline, stuff like that. I mean, it was it was bad. Then, on top of that, you had the governments looking for who Satoshi was, who who was running peers, who who were these people behind the scenes, and then. Everybody was trying, you know, some people were trying their best to stay hidden. Some people weren't. Um, and, and, you know, it became this battle of how much you felt like the world should know about you. But also in the early days, people like, like everyday people thought you were fucking crazy. Uh, pardon my French. But, uh, but uh, no, no, people, really, people really thought you were fucking crazy because like, you know, the way it was painted by the media was like, we're just a bunch of terroristic anti-government fucking crazies that were involved in this like data that could be used as money and, or was designed to be used as money. And people really, really took that to heart uh, up until I would say probably once the Silk Road hit, more people were open to it because they could buy drugs, like being honest. There we um, go. Like, like, you know, the WikiLeaks embargo was important. Um because you know they were they were definitely accepting bitcoin and then shortly after that you saw the rise of the silk road and then all the media was like you know in your face hey are your kids using bitcoin to buy dope and pretty much everybody at that point was on the bandwagon they're like oh hell yeah i can use digital currency to buy drugs fuck yeah sign me up and um you know we saw an influx of people getting involved at that point but before then it was you know it, it was not as uh it was not as cheerleaded as it is today far no. less people far less peers far less everything yeah yeah yeah. so that was actually one of the things that i wanted to get into because you've kind of seen this industry grow from the ground up and uh you said it's become a bit of a shit show and i can i can kind of agree with that i haven't been in the industry for you know that long a time i think i first got involved in mid 2016 so i was probably one of those guys that you're like yeah this this guy is the cheerleader um, but how, how has that adoption kind of changed and shaped the industry? Well, so I, for, first, first and foremost, I want to, I want to say something to clarify some things. Uh, if you're in it for investments and you're in it to make money, do your thing. I will never tell you not to take profit. However, don't call yourself a revolutionary for KYC buying Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah, there, there, there's a big difference there. If you're in it for the money make your money. Like, like I, I will never tell anyone never to take profits, take profits. There's no problem in that. Um, 
But on that same token, don't consider yourself to be like a cypherpunk anarchist when you're KYCing to Coinbase or someone to obtain Bitcoin. Don't do that. Right. Like, like I, I, I think I, I know my place pretty well. I, I went, my the first place I bought Bitcoin was on Coinbase. I gave them my name, my bank account. Like they have that information. So I'm not trying to pretend like, oh, I'm here, or at least I got into it originally because of the revolution, I would say. You know, I think your mentality does change once you get a little bit more involved in the industry. But I can definitely say that, you know, to start, I saw gold and a Goldman article about how blockchain was going to be this revolution. And I was like, I can make money doing that. Like that is an investment for me. That is why I bought it to start. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, again, there, there, there are people who were like me and others who got involved with it because there was like literally when I got involved, there was no money. Right. So, so here we were just running software and most of us had spare machines that we were doing SETI at home or, or folding at home. And most people don't even know what that is. Well, people know what folding is now um, because they're asking for it for this Corona COVID stuff. Um, but, you know, like we had spare machines and we would turn these CPUs on to start mining Bitcoin and running peers and being a part of this network. But, but again, a lot of those people were also tour operators too, or were involved in the onion routing network in some way. And we're already kind of like into you know, uh, using disappearing messages and, and ephemeral services, things like that. And, you know, it, it was a different breed of people who were involved then. Uh, and, and you wouldn't really see that change, like I said, until until the explosion of the price. Um, I mean, hell, I remember when Bitcoin was worth a penny and people were losing their shit in IRC. I mean, I remember when it hit a dollar, everybody was freaking out. I mean, that's when, <laughs> like, when, once it hit a dollar, you can go back and you can start seeing because like, I was in Seattle at the time, you'll start seeing like people sending, you know, 650 uh, BTC or, or a couple of other uh, unique numbers. And, and when people ask what those were, I'm like, that's when people were buying drinks for their friends with Bitcoin because a bartender or two would accept it. And this is also during a time when you had like Bitcoin dealers. Do you even know what a Bitcoin dealer is? No, not really. I mean, like I can, you know, kind of take a guess at it, but if you'd like to explain for me and my audience, I would love that. Okay. So before there was local Bitcoin, before there was any of that, you, you would have people in larger metropolitan areas who literally would buy and sell and, and sell your Bitcoin. Like they would go in and, and you would have a beer with them and you transact and you'd wait for a few, you know, a few blocks to go down the road. You'd hang out for an hour or two and blah, you'd on about your day whether you sold or, or traded for cash or bought or whatever and, and so like that was common like like and if you were involved in the circles like people just knew who the dealers who were the dealers? it was much different <laughs> i mean it was like buying it was it was seriously like buying drugs or or like transacting in that way <laughs> but it, it was kind of funny and, and interesting because like when it came to the bitcoin dealers like and, and people like myself and others you knew the handles, but you were seeing these people, you know what I mean? Like you would run into them, like you would, you know, we didn't call them meetups. We just called it drinking. And, you know, <laughs> you, you know, you would have people going to like the 26 hacker, uh, 2600 hacker meetups and then post that, you know, everybody would be going drinking and hanging out and meeting up at various bars, you know, and the, the ones that would take Bitcoin when it was worth something, you know, and the Bitcoin dealers were more prevalent then you know, some bartenders would take it and then like, you know, you'd introduce them to the person that could do the exchange and people would, you know, do it. And, and it was cool. You know, it was like something new. Right. And, and so like 
everybody was kind of on their best behavior in that little circle, or I was lucky to be in that circle uh, in the Seattle area. And like I said, times changed real quickly. So like once I left Seattle, I started working for Forex um, and dealing with fiat and, and like actual large scale transactions. So I had stepped away from Twitter and a few other things. And that's when this account was made. And uh, for a number of years, I wasn't allowed to talk about financial software. So um, that's kind of where I stepped away. And then once I started coming back in, even the two years before when I was still under uh, contract not to speak about it, I was watching the cheerleaders start. And that would be roughly about a year before you got involved. And, and it was beginning then, and it was ridiculous then, you know. <laughs> So right around the two, 2015 bottom or so is when you started to notice this change. Yeah, because like what it was is like once once all the stuff was done with Silk Road, once everything was done there and, you know, the fallout what was in 2014, uh, 2015, you know, the sentiment changed. And then all of a sudden you had people like Pomp and others coming in trying to rally and make this thing worth something. And you know, there was people who were questioning why it was even going up in value because it was no use for it, right? Because you couldn't buy drugs anymore, or you could, but you were buying from like these shittier marketplaces and non-trusted stuff. So it just became this very, very interesting dynamic change, you know? Yeah, very much so. Um, but I think, I think there's a bit of a fine line here uh, because, you know, a lot of the people that are kind of championing for Bitcoin, uh, I think that they've got some hidden motives where... They want the price to go up. That's why they're trying to get it out there. Uh, yeah. But they they argue that they're doing it for the adoption of Bitcoin and this decentralized movement. So what are your thoughts on that? So the thing is, is whenever they say that and then they're like, oh, yeah, you can use this custodial KYC stuff and quite literally counter to the narrative of decentralized <laughs> self-sovereign money, right? Like, yeah. Okay, on one token, you're telling people to get involved with Bitcoin, but on the same token, you're telling them it's okay to trust these third-party businesses uh, who are trying to behave like the modern banks just for Bitcoin, right? Which the whole point was to get away from banking and third-party trust systems, right? Yeah, I, it's weird to me how much love people have for these exchanges and these fiat gateways. Like everyone was in love with Coinbase at the time. Um, yeah. And... You know, that, that's kind of the opposite of what people are pushing for uh, and many people still are pushing for. Um, but, OK, say they're not the pomps of the world that you think are trying to do this for monetary gain. Uh, they want the price of Bitcoin to go up. They want to make a dollar any way they can. Uh, what about the other people who truly do care about, you know, what Bitcoin stands for, this decentralized movement? Well, I, I'm one of those people and, and like, I, I, you know, I, I use Bitcoin as often as I can for anything that I can, uh, within reason. I mean, obviously there's only, only so many snow cones and other things that I can <laughs> buy with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, eventually you get tired of buying the same stuff and, and, you know, like the biggest thing is, is that showing people how to do it without the third party is critical. Right. Um, you know, even here where I'm at right now in South Mississippi, a lot of people know I'm here. So, and I've been public about it. So I've been showing people how to use like, uh, you know, Samurai, how to use a whirlpool so that they can use it like cash. 
because the goal is is that you want it to behave like cash and since you can't tell where cash came from once it exchanges hands that's critical and you know like samurai has done a great job on that and the whirlpool really does give you that kind of advantage to use it like cash and so i've been teaching people here who already don't trust banks who already don't care about the financial system and are looking for ways to do digital purchases with a method that's not PayPal or without their debit credit card because they really don't trust their bank. Um, and so what you start to see here is that these people really get a grasp for it. Whereas like, if you look at California, most people that are out there, cause I just moved back from California, right? Um, most everybody out there is just like using custodial services, right? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I just keep my coins on the exchange and stuff. And I don't really care what, you know, I, I trust them. And it's like, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of counter to the narrative, like to, to what yeah. the goal was. Yeah. 100%. Uh, but there is, I think for the mass population, for the majority of people, I think that that might be an easier way to get people involved. What, what are your thoughts on that? It is an easier way to get people involved. Don't get me wrong. Like, like the, the onboarding process for Bitcoin today is much harder than it was back when I got involved. Back when I got involved, you just spun up a node, started the mining software, and literally within a day or two, you may hit a blocker three, right? Like, because it was CPU mining and there wasn't that much hash power on the network. And, you know, because it was all solo or self-submitted or solo mining, as they call it. Uh, and a lot of people don't even know what the hell that is in modern times. Like, you can ask people today what self-submission is, and they don't even know. And, and like, they're supposedly experts. And uh, you know what self-submission is, right? No. I, I, oh. I don't want to sound like an idiot, but no, I'm sorry, I don't. Okay, so before mining pools, when you were mining Bitcoin, you would be submitting against your peer to propagate the blocks, like, like to, to get the answers. And so that's why in the early days, all the block difficulties are one because there was no uh, network consensus or no way of gauging the network uh, hash rate at the time um, because everybody was submitting against their own peer. So when that goes on, like a lot of people don't understand that there was also a lot of orphan blocks. So there was a lot of for attempted forgery attempts, that kind of stuff too. Um, so, so back then, you know, Charles, you could, you could quite literally uh, on any laptop, uh, you would be able to download a peer, set it up uh, within the hour, turn around, you know, be able to configure your, uh, your miner and, and start. And you may hit a block, you know, before you went to bed. Like it wasn't uncommon. Very different times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like today, you know, now it's like, okay, I want to get involved with Bitcoin. What do I got to do? Well, you got to uh, you set up your address. Same thing you had to do back then, but now you can't just start mining it and get it. You know what I mean? Now you have to either purchase it from somebody or from a third party site, or you have to deal with Coinbase or someone like that who's going to KYC the hell out of you. Um, or the other method is you mine altcoins and trade them in for Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so you've kind of watched this whole evolution thus far. Uh, what mm. are your thoughts? Because I always like to ask, you know, what are your thoughts on the future? What are, you, what are you excited for in the next 12 months? But, you know, I think you are probably well qualified to speak on the topic of the industry as a whole. So the industry as a whole is going to continue to grow. We're going to see more attempted get rich quick schemes. They're going to label it. You know, the IEO was the newest one. You're going to see some new labels this year. Maybe not this year because of the 
you know, the coronavirus crap uh, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you're going to see people trying to come up with new ways of launching tokens to, to generate funds. Um, but I'll be honest with you. Um, just like I said about ICOs, and I'll say this about IEOs, most of these people wouldn't even get an angel investor in traditional software to give them 20 grand, nonetheless 20 million. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, people throw shade at me all the time about that, but I'm like, no, seriously. Uh, I Most companies, unless you're using it for payment, uh, there's really not a lot of need for a blockchain because the blockchain's power and Bitcoin's blockchain power is literally from public validations, right? Because everybody has to validate the blocks. Um, and, and every miner does that. And, 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 you know, the peers also store that the, that's the power. So when you talk about private blockchains, that's, that's just using a shitty database. <laughs> so, I, I mean, really it is because like, Ultimately, Postgres, MySQL, or any database, even SQLite, will outperform any blockchain as far as throughput. Uh, when you start talking about TPS, you know, well, that's just inserts. And what you have to look at is that, like, there is a real difference between a cryptocurrency and a database. And people try to blur the lines and and the dangerous part about that is is that that fools a lot of investors right and i don't think we're going to see a bull run like we saw in in 2017 and i'll tell you why um that boils down to the fact that like during that bull run people knew of bitcoin and bitcoin only but there were people traveling to countries that these people had never heard of the software and they were selling it as if it were the next bitcoin does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, completely. And so you had this huge influx of money that was coming from untapped resources, right? Well, there's not a place pretty much on the planet that there's someone that hasn't heard of it, right? So it's going to be hard to see an influx of random money just coming from nowhere. And institutions have been involved with Bitcoin for a long time. So to think that they haven't is, is dumb. So long term you know, what are your thoughts on the alt market? Do you think that will be going to zero at any point? Do you, are you a Bitcoin maximalist? I'm just trying to figure I, out. I'm not a maximalist. Uh, I am a, I'm more of a technologist. I like to explore different consensus that are trustless, you know, and my involvement with like burst coin and then using proof of capacity, which is a different type of trustless consensus, similar to proof of work but it utilizes hard drives and the method of its mining, right? And, and so like, I'm intrigued by technology. Like when you start looking at like delegated proof of stake, well, that's the banking system 2.0. Start looking at proof of stake, you're still trusting someone else to validate for you. Uh, and so you have this very interesting paradigm of technology versus this governance idea and, and, and all of these things. And what I see going on is that there will be alts that survive uh, there will be a lot of alts and businesses that go down, but the alts that will survive are the ones that aren't ran by businesses long-term. Um, and the reason why is because the idea of businesses controlling the monetary system that's involved in that ecosystem is dangerous, right? Because we learned that with the banks. Yeah. Like we're learning that now, right? Like again, we're going through that again. Yeah, yeah. So like if anybody listening to this needs a reminder, printer go brr, right? Like like right now, <laughs> right now we're printing money in the United States and actually all over the planet. People are printing money 
And and the thing is to think that that's not going to happen in a company controlled piece of software is ridiculous as well because their intentions are to profit. Their intentions yeah. are not you. And any business that makes you the user of uh, the product, it never ends well for you. We learned that with Facebook. We learned that with every tech company right now, especially like Google and others. So again, <laughs> like, like these are all things that are big shining reminders of what I'm saying, but like people are like, huh, I don't get it. And it, it's a, it's a dangerous time we live in, you know, like last night I was talking, uh, I tweeted something about 4chan being like the last bat, like the last beacon of, <laughs> A almost censorship free internet and, and literally it is and people were like well you know use this thing where you have to sign up get a wallet address do that i'm like that's the point like like there's hoops and bullshit and when you when you start talking about hoops and bullshit people are less likely to get involved and because of that those projects die right and that's kind of the point right like if it takes a, a normal person who has no technical know-how more than two steps to get involved, they're not going to. Yeah. I I think that circles back on the whole, you know, you talked about there's hoops and bullshit to get through. People aren't going to sign up. But I think, you know, there are these third parties that make it a little bit easier, which is circling back on that conversation. And then it gets back into, are these beneficial to the industry in any sort of way? They are and they aren't. I mean, the thing is, it's like, I see them as beneficial for, you know, like grandparents, things like that. Sure, I do. Yeah. Uh, although my grandparents have Bitcoin. Uh, but <laughs> Congrats. Congrats <laughs> yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, but, th- but they didn't buy it, right? Like they've just, they knew what it was when I explained it to them. And, 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 you know, like for them, it was never about money. It was like, okay, this is digital cash, right? Like, yeah. you know. That, that's just how they see it. Really and, quick, can can we go into some tips on how you got them interested? I'm assuming it was you that got them interested uh, because I feel yeah. like that's a big problem with adoption is you talk to your friends, family, parents, and they just don't get it. Don't sell it as an investment. Yeah. Like literally I was just like, this is digital cash. And, uh, you know, like my grandpa was like, what do you mean? So at the time he was, what, 78. So this would have been five years ago. Um and I was like, look, uh, Your grandpa's reason, an OG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only reason, so like the only reason he got involved with it because he was trying to buy some stuff online and, and like, you know, keep in mind, this was like his first foray. I was, I was in, uh, I was in from, uh, California on Christmas vacation, visiting him and stuff. Actually it was six years ago. My bad. Um, so yeah, he was, he was like, so I want to buy this stuff, but you know, I, I forgot what site it was. It, and I don't even know if it's still around. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But anyway, they accepted Bitcoin. And they also accepted PayPal. But he had to pay the international transfer for that. And it ended up being like 18 bucks more. And I was just like, why don't you just use Bitcoin? He's like, I don't even know what that is. And I had to <laughs> set him up, send him, send him some, send him some uh some sats. And uh he was like, Okay, that was pretty easy. Now waiting for the confirmations took some time, obviously. But once he sent it over and then he got his package, you know, a week later, he was like, okay, that was, that was fairly easy. Can you show me how to do that again? And then at that point I started setting him up on like using GYFT, if you're familiar with them. Uh, they were one of the first OG, like, uh, and when I say OG, I mean like they've been around for a long time, uh, where you could buy gift cards with Bitcoin. Right. And, um, and th- though it was through BitPay, but, um, he, he started utilizing that and this is remember keep in mind this was way before kyc was a thing yeah and so like he he would do that and buy like 
cards for people and stuff like that, like his friends in Texas and other places to, to send it to them, right? Because they had gotten smartphones, like, and it was new to them and it was easy for him to do that where he didn't have to mail off stuff. And for him, it just became a convenience factor. But then there again, we he's also well, he's also well-traveled. So, you know, versus people who don't get out much or have been in the same town all their life, it may be much more different for them to be able to do so because they don't see the need. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say that this isn't for everybody, but I feel like there are varying levels of necessity uh, where like Bitcoin might be completely useless to some people. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a, a lot of people don't realize that they're always pushing for everyone needs to transact in Bitcoin. Everyone needs to own Bitcoin. And like, yeah, that would be great. But like there are just people who won't see the need ever. Um, yeah. So, I, my other grandparent, my other grandparents see no need in it, by the way. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Like, like for them, they're just like, no, we can just wire transfer. Or something. <laughs> we, we, you know, like, and especially now for them, it's just like, yeah, we like, you know, last time, um, it was in the news, like, uh, it was over at their house and it was like on CNN, they were talking about it. And they're like, yeah, we just don't see the need in that. And like, we get it just, you know, we don't see the need and then we would never buy into a currency as an investment. And, uh, like we did that, you know, they did that with the peso and, uh, R and B and they wine, like, like for them, they don't care. Right. Like, yeah. They just see it as, okay, it's digital money. Okay. That's cute. So is PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love I love your mindset on all of this and kind of how rational and reasonable you are because some people in this industry, man, they're just so irrational and so lost in my opinion. Well, so that goes back to the way I treat it, right? And I'm sure you've seen the maxis get mad at me on Twitter. Actually, I know you have. You Of course. So it's software, first and foremost, <laughs> right? I, I don't give a shit what you say. Oh, well, the moral beliefs, everything like that. You know, that shit goes back to the 80s, first of all, first yeah. and foremost. The, the Cypherpunk Manifesto, David Shams' creation of tokens, uh, all blind tokens, all of these things go way back. Um, and, and they're not new, Okay. Bitcoin was the first thing that duct taped all this shit together. And, and when I say duct tape, Bitcoin was literally running on duct tape dreams and hopes when it <laughs> launched. And, and a lot of people think that, oh, it's this immaculate conception. Bullshit. And uh, it never was. And, you know, like, oh, well, Bitcoin's never been hacked. Bullshit also. Uh, August 2011, value overflow. And, you know, like, like people fail to understand the actual history of Bitcoin. Instead, they believe what Safe Dean and all these other people with their Autistrian economics and like all that stuff. Well, Austrian economics, or like I call it Autistrian <laughs> economics, it works at small scale. It doesn't work at a global scale. There's a reason that it doesn't work at a global scale because there still has to be an economic system of people spending and using. And this HODL mentality, which by the way, Okay, first of all, HODL is a drunk fucking post on Bitcoin Talk. Anybody who says it isn't, please look it up. Um, and, and later he goes and, you know, apologizes for it, but people started using it. So at a moment that you're making a fucking drunk post, a meme and a lifestyle brand for the way you treat your digital currency or speculatory asset is stupid. You're lost. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're completely you're lost. lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you missed the whole boat. Like, like you're yeah. not even the same realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so briefly you mentioned, uh, you know, there was no KYC back in the day. Uh, and this right. is kind of another hot topic. KYC has been brought up a couple times. Uh, and with the times that we are living in, 
where it looks like we're kind of headed more and more to this surveillance state and this police state. Uh, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin in this new environment? Do you think if people are going to be getting involved that KYC is going to be necessary? And if that's the case, do you see any way that this kind of doesn't all work out? So there will always be people like myself and others who will use uh, like Whirlpool and CoinJoin technology to mask origin to destination. Uh, there will always be those of us who continue to transact with wallets that were never KYC'd. Um, and, and, you know, one of the biggest things I can recommend to anyone is that if you are forced to KYC to obtain Bitcoin, the best thing you can do is set up Bitcoin Core. Don't use fucking Lightning because that shit, again, is alpha as fuck. And even the developers tell you, be mindful of that. People think that it's this robust stuff, but it crashes all the time. There are issues. People get stuck with their fucking coins lost in channels for days, weeks on end. Don't fucking do it. What you do, set you up a wallet, turn around, send your coins from your whatever KYC service you had to, set up another wallet, take the coins from first wallet, A, the one you set up and sent from KYC source, mix them in using Whirlpool or some coin join of your choice, but I, I would recommend Whirlpool because Wasabi's has been proven to be a fallacy. And what you do is you turn around and you mix them into wallet B. This provides some level of anonymity amongst what you're doing. However, you want to make sure that you're doing your UTXOs properly with that and there are guides online from Samurai and everyone else. There we go. Um... Now, ultimately, your best bet, your best bet would be to know somebody who has Bitcoin yeah. and transacting cash to them on wallets that have never been KYC'd or identified or named in subpoenas. Of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> I had to add that last part. Yeah, yeah <laughs> of course. Um, but do you see, because there, you, you say, you know, there will always be people like me, and I think you would be considered the minority in. Yeah, of course. The I, of huge, course, I'm the minority. Yeah, yes. I'm the minority in this. So do you see, I guess, there ever being an end, or do you think that, like, there will always be people like you? Do you think it will ever get too difficult where you'll just say, you know, no, this isn't worth it at this point? Uh, as far as, like, participating on Twitter and conversations, at points I just don't get involved anymore because I just let the cheerleaders do their shit, even though they're wrong. Um and when it comes to the actual network, I run peers. I run, uh, I still run mining operation. Um, I, not a very big one anymore. You know, these days I'm doing a lot of off grid stuff. Uh, but when it comes to, to the network participation, I run a lot of full nodes uh, that are available uh, for people to use if they need to or want to uh, on tour, not on tour. Uh, things like that. I will always participated on that side. I mean, it's, it's been my longest running relationship to date in my <laughs> life. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like 10, 10, 11 years. 11 years. Now. 11 years. Yeah. yeah 11 man. years of running nodes. Like, like 11 years. 11 I'm, years of running peers, man. I'm um, honored <laughs> that you're sitting down with me, man. Honestly. Well, you know, like the thing is, is like a lot of people have been involved. And like the thing is, is I, I will say that like, you know, I don't identify certain pieces of information because of protection of those that were involved and stuff. But when it comes down to it, man, it would be like me saying, you know, I've been running tour relays for 
uh, what, 12 years, 13 years now. Um, and I will always continue to run tour relays. Uh, I keep my stuff up to date. I don't make my file system writable. So there's no logs. So if a subpoena comes, Hey, come take the shit. I don't give a fuck. You ain't got no logs. Um, and, and you know, like people get freaked out about that and they're like, why do you do that? It's like, well, because it's not for me. Right. I don't run tour relays for me. I run tour relays for people who need them. Uh, and a lot of people, in the early days of BTC, we're not just running nodes because there was profit to be made because there was no money. They were running it because it was part of something interesting and part of something that was revolutionary. And in today's time, you know, a lot of people look at what's going on as like, hey, you know, I run, I run a lightning node doing this. And it's like, that's cool, but you're still not really using Bitcoin the way that it was designed to peer to peer. Instead, they're using like third parties to transact for them or they're utilizing lightning which by the way lightning's idea and premise is great for an instant transaction however the implementation is horrible and so as you start to break this all down like what i see is you're going to see a huge rift and, and i said this on uh dyor podcast last year banks are going to start introducing their orange coin wallets and you're going to start seeing them in your mobile banking app and they're going to run their own version of Lightning. And people are like, oh, you can't do that. Yes, you can. It's an MIT licensed piece of software. If you understand software development, you already know how this works. If you don't, what MIT basically means is that here's some code, do with it whatever you want. You don't need to credit me. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to provide changes. You don't even have to expose what you've used it for. And that Bitcoin is licensed under MIT. Lightning is licensed under MIT. A lot of software is licensed under MIT. But the dangerous part about that is the fact that they can add filters, prevent certain addresses from sending, not accept from certain flagged addresses, that kind of stuff. And that's where people really aren't understanding the importance of the actual core network. Um, Is that as you get into abstractions or layer twos, layer threes, and all this other BS that people are trying to present, all of this should have been put into core and not put into the hands that could be manipulated by third parties because peer operators are not going to allow other people to control what their peer is doing, right? Well, banks running merchant services and financial institutions that run those, these small businesses aren't going to just accept Bitcoin lightning as lightning. They're going to accept that whatever their merchant service tells them to. And I've read an article about this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, no one's going to sacrifice credit card and debit card processing for four Bitcoin transactions a year. They're just fucking not. (laughs) And and like, I I hate to say it that way, but like a lot of these businesses have, have been really honest about their cryptocurrency transactions and they're very few because people aren't spending it because the people who have it, uh, aren't in that region or even worse, the people that are in that region are just like, hey, I'm going to stack some sats, bro. I'm going to yeah, do this. They're gonna I'm gonna do this. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to hodl. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, you want adoption. You want people to use it, but you're not going to get people to use it by not using it. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, 100%. And this, this is something I think about a lot. It's like, you know, there's this fine line where people want to hold out now and not spend it. Uh, with the idea that they will spend it in the future when adoption has grown. But it's like, when is it ever enough? You know, your thought is it's going to go up in USD value. So I'll hold out. Um, and that's the reason for not spending it, which I just think is absolute bullshit. 
But the other problem with that USD thing, right? Like they're talking about they want a million dollar Bitcoin. They're going to have a Citadel and the fucking bullshit. Okay, first of all, let's do some basic napkin math, okay? Um, <laughs> Please. Like literally, let's do some napkin math here, okay? All right, so let's let's just say hypothetically it goes up to a million dollars, okay? And, and I don't think it ever will. And if it does, it's going to be a sign that the U.S. dollar has failed, I'm, which means... I'm going to come <laughs> knock on your door if we hit it. <laughs> No, I'll, no, no, it won't, matter. it won't even matter, dude. At, at that point, it won't even matter because U.S. dollar is going to be in the shithole <laughs> because it's going to be hyperinflation. Yeah. That's going to be what it is. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, Zimbabwe, um, the Zimbabwe dollar. At a point in Zimbabwe, it cost you $3 trillion to buy a fucking apple. Yeah. Think about that for a second. $3 trillion to buy a single apple. Now, Bitcoin at a conservative price right now, whatever it is, I think it's what, 67. I haven't looked on shit next in a few days because I haven't been gambling. Uh, let's, but, um, let's see what we got here. I can pull it up really quick. I think you're about <laughs> right, but let's see what we got. I haven't haven't looked at the price once today. Uh, yeah, six, six, seven. High, right, cool. high 6.7. All right, cool. High 6.7. Okay, great. So even when it was at the 20K and the network was clogged and everything like that, and then we see this huge rush down. And even like the other week, right, when we went down to what was it, 3,600 on shipmags, yeah. right? Okay. It, and someone did the math. It would have taken 20 million worth of sales to put Bitcoin at $0. That's very dangerous. And people are like, oh, there's a bunch of millions of dollars or billions of dollars in the market cap. Okay, cool. How much of that is factual and how much of it isn't? Because we do know that exchanges lie a lot. We know that data is not to be trusted from these services because they're third parties. So how much of that actual money is involved in the market? You see what I mean? Yeah. And so, so to have a million dollar Bitcoin, you would need several hundred trillions of dollars of actual volume and market cap movement. And the problem is it ain't there because where's that money going to come from? Because remember, we talked about this, the influx of money that we saw the, the 20K or right at 20K, ATH, stem from directly from people all around the world just hearing about these alts and everything else and people were just buying in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think long term, a million dollar Bitcoin is just absurd to me. Uh, but I do think that, you know, as more money comes into the industry, we could see, you know, higher prices that can stay up at those higher prices. Uh, that won't be affected by, you know, a couple hundred million in sell-offs. Well, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate about something, though. I don't think the industry is going to go to grow directly Bitcoin's market cap. I think what you're about to start seeing over the next few years uh, is literally more software as a service dealing with handling what Bitcoin and everything else is doing. And they're going to be traditionally funded software companies. And they're not going to be paying their employees with Bitcoin. They're not going to be involved in cryptocurrency at all other than facilitating some need for those services. Well, true there, but I, I, I'm talking strictly, you know, people are using it as an investment tool. That may be true. Uh, I mean, again, investments, though, as we saw what happened with investment in straight Bitcoin, what happened as soon as it got to an ATH, massive sell-offs. Yes. Now, there's still a lot of big wallets that have never moved coins. There are several thousands of them that have not really moved. There's a lot of blocks that haven't moved since 2009 to 2012. And that should be an interesting paradigm for people to look at because, again, 
the the price is on a speculatory asset, man. It's not on the fact that it's a company or that it's a stock growth or anything like that. Like literally is speculatory at, the, at all. It's based on who's willing to pay what for someone else's bag, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is a lot of people got burnt on the ATH rise and they didn't make their money back. And what you're going to see from now on is you're going to see a very aggressive sell-off to make profits. Yeah. So times have changed. So so the the even the investors and trading aspect of it has changed. I mean, you you're on Mex a lot, right? You I mean from your uh, from your tweets, which by the way, the best tweet you've ever done about Mex uh, was what blowing Mex accounts or uh, selling oregano to high school yeah. and blowing Mex accounts <laughs> as a personality. Dude, I, I have a I have a screenshot of that. That was my favorite tweet by you about BitMEX, hands down. I, I have put out a lot of them. That one is up there mm-hmm. for me for sure. And I feel like it didn't do as well on Twitter, but that was one of my my <laughs> in my opinion, funnier BitMEX tweets. Uh, it was, and I, I, to this day, I tell people about that when they ask me if I know you, like if I know of your stuff on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, dude, this best one is this. And they're like, it didn't even get that much. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still it's, it's gold. No, yeah, it's gold. I, I, I think that was that was uh, one of my prouder Bitmax tweets. But no, sorry. Um, you're right in saying that the environment has changed, and I think that there is a lot of people that you know, if they're still holding, could be underwater. Uh, but I mean, if we look at you, you, you're right in saying that it's not a company, you know, it doesn't have revenue, it doesn't have net profit. It's not, I guess, providing utility in a in a general sense or in, um, you know, a more <clears throat> widely accepted um, sense. But, you know, you look at look at the dot com bubble, right? You know, very similar thing where there was it was very speculative. There was a huge balloon and a bubble. It burst, but then, you know, as people slowly started to come back around to it, it broke to all time highs, continued to go yeah. up. So do you not But see then that? you're also you're also considering it to be like a company at that point again. Like I mean some of the biggest the biggest contenders for largest companies in the world were around and survived that dot com. I mean, one of them being Amazon, right? Yeah. Like, like literally, and, and you know, people are like, "Bitcoin is the best performing asset over the last eleven years." It's like, yeah, fuck yeah, if you got in early. <laughs> but if you were alive in nineteen ninety six and you didn't buy Amazon, well, you're a fool. Like, 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 I like to tell people that because it's the same fucking concept, right? It's like, yeah, sure, it was the best performing asset for eleven years. Yes and no. How many dips has it had that have made people really freak out? And then also not to mention the happening coming up, right? Um, That's where people are going to really learn how much profit of mining matters. Uh, And, you know, we've also seen some huge network resets recently uh, where the hashing rate dropped dramatically because of the fact of people not being profitable. and what people don't understand about that is that right now, most of the transactions on the block are, uh, was up to 5%, are 5% of it is personal and or coin join mixes through either uh, Wasabi and or Whirlpool. Whirlpool does more than anybody, I think, at this point because they've, they've been full. Uh, I, I watch this stuff a lot because I, I try to pay attention to it. But then the oh, rest of the it best. is... Yeah, yeah, but but the other ninety five percent are two and from exchanges. Yeah. So if 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 you're you're looking at that and you're going, okay, cool, uh, and, and there's always those two and from Bitmex, right? Like because all you <laughs> need is one confirmation, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> Everybody's moving in, get that XBT, baby. XBT, right. let's do this. 
<laughs> and uh that's that dj in life right um, oh yeah we all know but, uh we all know it. you can lie about it and say you don't but we yeah, right. there. <laughs> um but when, when you start breaking it down you, you start seeing that okay if majority of it is buying or selling and you're supposed to derive profit from that and people are going as cheaply as they can right because utxo costs and everything like that the problem is, is the miners their job is not to run the network their job is to profit quite literally they don't give two shits and a fuck about how many peers are online what's doing what they only care that their little asics or their farm of asics is making money versus their power cost yeah so at, at the having people are like oh the price is going to skyrocket and he, here's my problem with that theory everyone's like it could be either you know six months before after 18 months after and the happening is not priced in that's not how fucking this shit works okay <laughs> like, like 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 the having happens at a time and a block height okay at the time that that happens block height you know the block rewards change okay at that moment, every block subsequent after that on the longest chain is all that matters. And the price matters at that moment going forward. And the reason that's important to note is because miners will have to more aggressively sell off to stay profitable. They're no longer getting the rewards that they were right now. They will have to start selling very much more aggressive to keep the lights on. And the problem that you're going to start seeing is, is if there's not an influx of an ATH or anything like that, a lot of mining shops are going to have to shut their doors. Yeah. And you're already starting to see some shut their doors. Those dips down to 3,800, things like that, those are dangerous for them yeah. because that impacts their ROI per day. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I mean, you have your own place or, or actually you live with your mom, according to your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your wife lives with you too. But, yeah, you know, and girlfriend. Yeah, and girlfriend. But um, basically the electric companies don't give a fuck what the price of Bitcoin no, is. No, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. Like, like for them, you either pay your bill or you, your shit's getting cut off. Exactly. Like nobody really cares. And um I try to explain to people about business and they're like, well, that's, that's not how I see it. And I'm like, that's great. That's not how you see it, but that's how it is. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. It's not this happy go lucky bullshit. You know, it's business. There's no, yeah. There's no kumbaya. Everybody sitting around a campfire outside the mining operation going, Oh man, it was such a beautiful day. We mined some transactions. I'm so glad this network's running. Nobody's fucking doing that. And uh, the you know, person back... coming to collect the bill, they're, they're not saying, Oh, Bitcoin's this price. We'll get give you a break this month yeah no they're, they're fucking like hey are you paying your fucking rent or not <laughs> you know what i mean like your lease payments still do today bro yeah. like i get it having a rough one you need that scotch before 7 a.m but come on <laughs> like I, I gotta get my money right you know what i mean and, and that's that's the other side of what people don't get so the cheerleaders don't understand that side of it yeah and the reason they don't understand that side of it is because a lot of them are either trust fund babies or or whatever and you got these people who are over leveraging themselves on home equities and things like that to buy Bitcoin. And, and all of that's on the hope that there's going to be another run up to an ATH. The problem is, is that that ATH was created from an influx of money from people that didn't know anything about that industry and the price was going up. So really quick here, what about comparing this to say 2013? Mm, 2013 though, there was people using Bitcoin. People were buying drugs. There was a demand. And you don't think that there's, I mean, there's clearly less demand now, but 
people are still transacting in it. There's, you know, new merchants accepting it on a daily basis. Oh, of course, of course. And that's great. But like I said, the I I'm very, very speculative on being bullish for that reason. Yeah. I have seen this shit go up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, this shit goes down faster than a fucking divorce broad getting a vodka cranberry to bar. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I agree with you in a lot of ways. I am kind of playing devil's advocate here a little yeah, bit. I know you are. Um, I know you are. Also, I mean, back. yeah, and I mean, also, I do have you know some Bitcoin bags that I would like to see launch into space. So. Of you course, know? we all do. I mean, I would like to see the rest of mine go crazy high, and then no way I can sell, and everybody catch my falling knives. Yeah. But <laughs> the, the, the point is, the point is, is that I'm also a realist, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Once you understand why there was a huge influx to the ATH, and you take a look at all the data that's available, we knew the network was clogged. We knew those problems with blocks. We knew those problems with people being able to facilitate transactions. All of these things led to a high demand at spot pricing at that moment. All this money mostly came from other places, not necessarily USD, other, other countries, other regions. And, and what you saw was just this high demand for it. And, uh, you know, like basically what you saw uh, is these people demanding Bitcoin because they couldn't get their hands on it, right? And it, and it was only a brief period. And people were like, oh, well, you know, it hit the ETH, what was it, 35 days, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that, that's fact. But how fast did it start falling from the ATH? Very within quickly. the hour. Yeah, very very quickly. Uh, as soon as people realized, oh, this might be coming and crashing down, they got out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, and, and because a lot of people lost their ass, there's a lot of people who bought at the top. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so to think that they're not going to sell at the nearest thing to a top or, or whatever is ridiculous. So yeah, you got, you got four or five million dollars in Bitcoin. You're going to liquidate as quickly as you can to regain your profit once it starts even remotely looking like you're going to get profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, what I, and that coupled with the happening makes for a very dangerous time for this, you know, the people who are basically gambling on the idea that is going to hit an ATH because, you know, there are people who are talking about over leveraging houses or, you know, Binance allowing people to buy that shit with credit, credit cards. Credit cards. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, okay, that's not predatorial. No, mm. not at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Uh, we want you to be able to invest, but because you don't have any money, we're going to allow you to do cash advancing on your credit card so oh. you can pay a 26% interest rate or whatever it is. I, I support it. I support it so much. Like, you know, if you want to make those terrible decisions, you should be allowed to. I like a good train wreck as good as the next one. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I'm I a terrible like, person for saying it, but I, I do. I I like that, you know, you have the freedom to do that in this industry. Uh, yeah, I do too. And, and that's kind of the point, right? Like the whole goal exactly. was there was no gatekeeping. But the problem is, is that people when, need some gatekeeping. Yeah, people, <laughs> hey, hey, you know, just like right now with this COVID stuff, right? Like my state just entered, uh, you know, Mississippi just entered a shelter in place, right? uh on friday 5 p.m and just went active there are still fucking people who are gathering outside at like gas stations they don't care 30 they don't care they don't give a fuck walmart and everybody else is just now taking the uh the approach of like hey maybe we shouldn't let 300 people into yeah. the fucking store <laughs> you know maybe that's a bad idea there's okay, lines cool. outside now yeah, yeah but but think about it 
if it takes a, a, a social global economic impact, such as a virus, for people to wake up and be like, hey, maybe we should start listening to guidelines of, of, of not spreading this disease. We're, we're what, uh, 40 something, 50 something years into credit, right? Maybe more. And people still don't get that it's a bad idea to over leverage yourself, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, dang, so you dangle some cash in front of them, and that's the potential reward. All kind of thought process goes out the window. And, and that's dangerous. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, for most people, it won't work out. There's going to be those couple people it does work out for who just, you know, champion it even harder and then it perpetuates it. Yeah. And I really also find the people who, who you see tweeting about it like, oh, I, uh, oh, I, I tweet about it. Up. Yeah, but you're not actually over leveraging yourself, I hope. <laughs> I, I See, I, I take everything you say with a grain of salt and a shot of tequila because I'm like, and I'll smoke a joint. I'm like, this guy, I know he's fucking fucking around. Yeah. There are probably people really doing what you're saying. And that's why sometimes I ask you, I'm like, you're LARPing pretty hard. You must know somebody doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it, it's just stuff that generally crosses my mind. Like, I've definitely tweeted about buying Bitcoin with a credit card. I would never do it. But, like, it's the options available. Has it crossed my mind once or twice? 100%. So I'll tweet about it. Is, it. it never has crossed mine. And, and the reason why, but I, I also have, like, no debts. Yeah. So, like... I, I look at debt is debt is healthy to to some level like when you're buying something that has a long-standing non-speculatory gamble yeah now <laughs> you know like if you're buying a house and you're signing up for debt for 15 years that's 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 good yeah that's, that's good debt yeah you, you, you taking on debt to gamble on what oil price is going to be tomorrow morning <laughs> when opec markets open that's a bad idea okay yeah. <laughs> like, 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 that's that's bad like and the same goes with Bitcoin. You taking on debt for speculation of what you feel. And and that's the other problem, right? People in this space get too much emotionally tied to money. Oh, okay? yeah. You, to, and, uh, this right here, same thing Warren Buffett says, same thing every uh, millionaire and billionaire I've ever met and, and worked with and or know. Uh, this is what they'll tell me and this is what holds true. The moment you're emotionally tied to an investment, you will never make money off that investment because you will never take your profits. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I'm like, sad. yeah, I'm like, okay, that makes sense because, and, and it's okay to also be emotionally tied to projects or, or an investment that you just genuinely are interested in. That's fair, but don't make that passion project, passion idea, something you plan to retire on because that's going to be harder to do when not everyone in the world feels the same way, right? Yeah. And, you know, um, even like Buffett recently, you know, selling off as, as airline stocks, people are like, well, you know, just a month ago he said that, but he also took a consideration of what happened within that month, right? Like, oh, fuck it, you gotta let it go. Yeah. And, and he's you know, able people, to do that. Yeah, and, and, but like people also need to understand that he sold, he may have sold at a loss, he probably did. Um, it, but he had to get out of it because he saw further losses coming. And when people see a train wreck, uh, you know, you and I both agree we like watching train wrecks sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't like watching train wrecks with my money, though. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like if I know something's not going to be good and I'm not invested into it uh, emotionally at all or, or involved with it at all, I just have money in it, I fucking get the fuck out of it. Yeah. Like a bad relationship, right? Like at a point you're just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. I'm right. walking away. You know, I, I'm going to, 
I'm going to be a little bit open here. Uh, and it's kind of even hard for me to say, like with any of my other investments where I'm not sitting on Twitter talking about them, you know, pretty much all day, every day, I don't have a podcast around it. I can buy and sell with little to no emotion. I can cut losers, you know, sell winners. I'm not looking to get any extra profit out of them. There's something with Bitcoin, man, where it's like, it's harder for me. It's harder for me because I'm so passionate about it. I like spend all my time talking about it and like learning about the industry. I got a podcast, like I was saying. And so it's a little bit harder for me to push that sell button when I know I should. And it's fucked up to say, but it's I'm, I'm being honest here. So can I can I give you some advice on on handling that? And, and I I have recently had to like uh, I, I've started moving some of my stuff and uh, I've been taking profits on on my uh, some of my later coins. But, you know, one of the things I can tell you is create a new wallet, move some coins there, set a price tag, earmark the price tag that you're going to sell those at and then just sell them. Oh, no, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think about it. Yeah. Like, like you have to be able to make sure that you're also providing yourself with a quality of life around it. Like there's, there's, there's no problem with that. And what you do, if, if you actually really want to do really well with it, uh, a friend of mine is doing this. Uh, he has a bank account that's solely for that. And what he does is he moves it in there, sells it at a profit, gets the money from Coinbase, lets it sit there in his bank. Turns around, takes whatever the huge amount of profit is, turns around, dumps it into CDs. Now, a lot of people are like, well, why don't you buy CDs? Okay, cool. That's cute. You don't understand it. But that's a guaranteed return, FDIC insured. Yeah. Okay. Uh, say whatever you want. Yeah, it's guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Say whatever you want. Speculatory gambling is great, but guaranteed returns are better for long-term revenue growth. 100%. And, and, and uh, net worth growth. And so, like, what he'll do then is he'll leave that money there the rest of it that wasn't the profit off of it. And then the next time Bitcoin takes a dip, he just buys into that. And he, he has his own little system for that. And he uses a couple of banks doing that. And that's just what he does. Yeah. And for him, you know, he's, he's averaging, I, I think last month he, he, I think last month he did 22,000. Um, and that's just what he's doing. Now out of the 22,000, 18,000 of that or 10,000 of that went into uh, CDs and the rest of it went back into buying at lower prices so that he could turn around and sell at profit, which he did again, to turn around and get more CDs. Now, he's been staggering them to, to build net worth. And, you know, a lot of people think that that's like crazy idea, but he was like, no, you want to stagger because what happens next year when you get into a financial strait or, or a dire strait scenario, you, then every month you have a CD coming up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> if you intelligently play it, you you always have liquidity, right? And the thing is, is, you never want to get into a position where you don't have liquidity uh, in the financial markets because when you're dealing with money, it's very quick to overextend yourself 100%. and not realize you did. And, yeah. you know, when people are like, oh, well, I bought Bitcoin, you know, you see people tweeting about it. And like, this is the shit that cracks me up, right? I bought it at 7,100. Then all of a sudden it dips down to 3,200 or 3,600. And they're like, oh my God, I bought in at 33.5. I'm cost averaging in. Okay, what the fuck are you cost averaging in for? Like, like you made a bad decision. You weren't looking at charts. You weren't looking at anything. You're trying to treat it as if it's this investment. And then the other thing that I have a problem with also in the space, where the fuck did the 6.15 number come oh, from? I... That's supposed to get you 
big titty goth bitches or whatever. Like, where the fuck did that stem from? I hate that meme. I hate it so much. Like, I, I fucking it it irks me to my core, and I don't know why. Like, I'm I'm an asshole for it. I it shouldn't bother me, but it bothers me so much. No, you should be bothered. I'm bothered by it because I don't understand it. It's like okay, six point one five BTC. Let's see. Even at a hundred thousand dollars, okay, for BTC, that's not even seven hundred k worth of BTC. Hey, man, you forget that most of the people in this industry are twenty four years old, and six hundred <laughs> grand to them is what they think a retirement cost. So, fuck, that, that's not what a retirement cost. Yeah, retirement cost in uh, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah the, sure. the, can, the backwoods, <laughs> out in the sticks. <laughs> You can you can live off six hundred grand for a few decades in Nebraska, yeah. but most of them think that like this idea that six point one five gives them some kind of OG gangster. No, it doesn't. No. Like literally, literally. Here, here's what I like to tell them: there was a time when I started mining Bitcoin, where you know the block reward was fifty. Yeah. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it was fifty. Like I, I'd like snag 50, 50 Bitcoin on a regular basis, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we just mine that much every time we want to block. Yeah. And they're like, that's crazy. That's not. Is that really true? I'm like, here you are talking about big. You're a Bitcoin maximalist. And you don't even know what block rewards are. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, and like, that's my problem with this industry, man. Is you have all these people who have been hoisted up, who who are pretend cypherpunks. Who, who are pretend investors who are pretend anything and, and like it's and, and, well even the maxis right like they have all these people and, and you know like even like last uh, what was it 2019 like peter mccormick didn't even know how to run a fucking node on his macbook man all you have to do is download core and double click it like it's fucking easy <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's not hard like th- th- there's not a whole bunch of steps to it you know what i mean it's, yeah download the dmg move it to applications double click boom there you go wow hard uh, you, you know, like you're not building it from source or they're not. And I know they're not because they don't even know the first thing about verifying a signature on a, on, on a binary, that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> like all these people talk about how, you know, cool and intelligent they are about this stuff. Meanwhile, you ask them, how do you verify a signature on, on, on an image? And they're like, huh? What are you talking about? I was like, first of all, motherfucker, what are you talking about? You understand the opsec of this and you're just downloading a binary you don't know. And you're gonna import a fucking key from a wallet, really? Okay, tell me more about how you've never been scammed. Like <laughs> seriously, like like this is this is the shit that I'm talking about. Like like people don't understand that they're downloading the shit from GitHub or Bitcoin.org, and they don't even understand how DNS works, Charles. Like like most people don't even understand that you can DNS attack someone's network uh, by art cache poisoning or a few other tactics, and they don't even understand how DNS works. DNS is not some super secure system domain name services are very much fallible because it's like me telling you my name's daniel but telling 3500 other people that my name is josh or, or kevin or something else those 3500 other people believe i'm kevin or google.com for example and they start using me as if i'm google.com meanwhile you know that i'm not google.com but they don't you see what i mean yeah and, and like that whole idealism is so fucking stupid to me and and having watched it go from people who actually knew what the fuck was going on understood it respected it you know and and had core fundamental understanding and then all of a sudden it was like post russ albright going to prison everybody just fucking got stupid yeah well i mean i think money attracts the larger crowd that isn't as focused on 
I, I think some of the reasons that some of you, I'm going to call you an OG, uh, some of you OGs kind of got into the industry for. Are you shaking your head right now? I, 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 I hate that word. I know, I know, I know. I know. You, I, I, I'll tell you why, okay? So, like, even the maximalist word, right? So, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now, and I've tweeted it before. People get mad. Okay, uh, because Bitcoin is software, I can say this, and I, I can piss a lot of people off, and there's nothing I can do about it, okay? Where are my Apache maximalists? Where are the people who only use companies running Apache software who support only Apache modules and doing only things in Apache? Where are they at? They don't exist. Why? Because it's fucking software. It's a tool. Some people are going to use the right cryptocurrency for themselves or the right set of tools for themselves. For example, like, hey, I can't run an ASIC. Cool. Then chances are you probably shouldn't run a pr proof of work fucking algorithm, right? Run a proof of capacity like first. Oh, hey, I need super shielded security, but I don't trust Zcash because why? They're ran by a company and had their mining reward. Great. XMR is just for that fucking purpose. Oh, cool. I need to be able to transact with insert some self-sovereign token that someone created as a fork. Awesome. Great. You can do that. See, like th that's the whole luxury of it that people fail to understand. Uh, what works for you and I in a first world country isn't going to work for everybody. You know what I mean? Right. Like at all. And, and people are like, oh, that's not true. Bullshit. How many people in Africa that isn't South Africa? How many people in Kenya, you know, that's got iPhones? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm being realistic. No, here. yeah, you I, are. Um, I mean, the cost alone is, is overwhelming. And then so like all of a sudden you're talking about these villages that can't keep lights on. And you're talking about them running a 1200 to 1800 watt, a kilowatt hour fucking machine to, to mine currency that they're not going to make any money on. Okay. Tell me more about how this sound, is sound investment advice for a third world nation with a power gear problem. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more of your insightful they, I, autism. I, I, I was going to say, I think that some people just have their head a little bit too far up their own ass. Um, I, I have to agree with you. <laughs> and like, sorry for going on that rant. No, like, no, just... it's, it's okay. You're very passionate about this topic and it's actually been a wonderful conversation. Um, so really quick though, I do kind of want to bring it back into yep. crypto entrepreneurs, right? Uh, because yep. in DMS, we talked about kind of painting yourself into a bit of a corner, I'd say. And then like, you know, kind of how do I want to say this you know not being able to pivot their whole business model is sur surrounding bitcoin or some other thing uh yeah so so I'll touch do you know what that. I'm getting out yeah 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 so, I'm sorry so, I put it right. terribly that was that was yeah, the worst question and, I've and, ever asked <laughs> it's okay but I, I I got what comment you're referring to there and, we go like, like like now I know exactly what you're asking so so one of the things is a lot of people, even in traditional software, non-cryptocurrency-based software, right? The thing is that you always want to build your platform, your application, or, or whatever service you're doing, especially software as a service. That's the new thing, right? Um, <clears throat> which, by the way, th this is a flaw. Um, software as a service, if you want it to be using cryptocurrency, don't. Just accept it as a form of payment for your subscription, and you'll get more users. More users means more revenue, more money, growth. Yeah. Yeah. Revenue <laughs> equates to growth. Okay. And, and that equates to, to money and money is good. <laughs> money is good. Okay. So, so like I, I haven't worked in startups for, for like the last almost 10 years. I, I could tell you this much in, in this space, you see a lot of people who are solely reliant on one particular piece of software. Okay. 
And the dangerous part of that is that you have to be able to pivot. And what I mean by pivot is that, say for example, you write a good software, a good, great user interface, great experience for people being able to transact Bitcoin or money in general, right? Uh, or actually any cryptocurrency, great. You know, it might make more sense for you to do some PayPal integrations and banking system integrations with Zelle API, things like that. So you're not restricting yourself into a box because not everyone's going to use your app. Not everyone's going to be on board with that. So you want to expand and reach as many people as you can, you know, like the, the thing is, is you'd be surprised how many people would actually be turned on to using your app if you just added a PayPal integration. I know that sounds stupid, but it's actually pretty intelligent if you think about it, because way more people use PayPal than they use Bitcoin. Like I said, and, that doesn't sound stupid at all. And I think if that <clears throat> sounds stupid to somebody, they might need to get their head checked. Mm -hmm. And Zelle, for example, with all the major banks using it, Zelle has a pretty thorough, a pretty good API. Uh, I've written some code recently with it. Uh, and literally, you know, it's very well documented, very well uh, good use. Uh, you got to go through their process to get approval to write on it. But when you start talking about like the financial side of it, utilize that. Oh, hey, we're only doing crypto storage or we're only doing this. Okay, cool. That's cute. But why don't you add some other features so that companies outside of that space can view in and you might turn them on to being able to use it if it's cost effective see that's the part people don't get okay so while it's great you're doing like some ipfs storage blah 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 it's still cheaper for them to use amazon than they just use your service so what would be smarter to do is to be able to offer like a third-party integration so that they can use amazon with a base rate, flat storage fee, that kind of stuff. And, and then try to mitigate that expansion of gas costs, execution costs for transactions, high fees, that kind of stuff. Because companies aren't looking into it for the holistic value, they're not. They're looking at it as, can I run my business on this for a lower cost than what I can on some other service? And that's what they're doing. And, and when you start looking at SaaS, that's like the name of the game. And people are like, oh, I don't use SaaS. The fuck you don't use Netflix, you use fucking everything else. Just stop with your bullshit, right? Um, and, and they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. It's like, yeah, it's software as a service. It could be a streaming service. It could be, you know, uh, Adobe Online. It could be any of that stuff is considered software as a service. AWS provides a wonderful toolkit. You know, Amazon Web Services, so is Azure, which is Microsoft. All these cloud companies are just providing services that you would normally build out yourself. They just give you an API for it. Great. So if you understand what they're doing, they're wide reaching their, their net to get as many users as they can because they don't want to restrict them. I mean, Microsoft hosting Linux instances, that should tell you enough right there that, that even they don't give two shits yeah. about, about putting themselves in the corner anymore because it doesn't make sense from a business standpoint. And so what you're starting to see now is like, you know, like there are companies that all they do is write solidity contracts. Okay, cool. Since most solidity contracts are copy and paste of everything else, it would make much more sense to just make an API driven auto creation template. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I talked about it for like two years. Nobody did it. I also sold that project. But um, <clears throat> when you start looking at this, you need to understand that growth is going to come from user retention. If you don't have a reason for new users to come in because you're saturated in that market, no one's going to use your software. No one's going to grow. And yeah, you, you could, this also applies to advertisement, applies to everything else. Don't restrict yourself. Say you want to call yourself a crypto influencer. Great. Don't restrict yourself just to crypto. Say that you're a financial software 
influencer or a fintech influencer. That's me. Literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm, I don't care. Like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, your friends were like, you know, these people like Nye and others. I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah, but like, you know, you guys don't chill to each other. It's like, no shit. I don't, I respect people's hustle. It's just like Wendy O and everyone else. Whatever you're doing to get paid, do it. I don't care. I just do not shill ICOs and stuff like that. But hey, if they're paying you to do something, yeah. And I mean, why the fuck not? Who cares? If, if you're okay with it, right? Like the whole point is, is like everybody has some kind of idea that, oh, well, I'm only going to shill Bitcoin. That's cute. But how many people do you have paying you to shill a free project? Like seriously. Like, I mean, I mean, I think no. some of the Bitcoin maximalists have figured it out, and there are yeah, that that they have companies they, and they, services that'll sponsor and pay them and shit. But no, I I think you're right, and I think this has been one of the most rational conversations I've had with anyone on here. And it's it's funny, I, I wouldn't peg you to be, you know, I I don't know how close you are with like the Wendios and the Shilnais and stuff like that. I know, I, Every time I'm in LA or wherever with them, or they're in, when I was in California, every time they're in the area, we always get up, drink, hang out, that kind of stuff. I I, I know most people who, who are influencers, because I've met them over the years through conferences and that kind of stuff. And, you know, like the thing is, is like, I'm just not an influencer. Like I'm yeah. an asshole. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like, people, I mean, same. I'm somehow yeah, yeah. making it work. Hey, hey, you know what? You have parody accounts that have more followers than you. And I got to give them props on that, bro. Right. Like, you have parody accounts of yourself. Like, like there's that guy who's got like 80K followers that, that just has an extra underscore versus yours. Yeah. And that person has way more followers than you. So you do have traction, right? And that's what I appreciate about you guys is the fact that, like, you hold it down, you do your thing. And, and like, you know, people get mad at me because they're like, you know, I just don't retweet the shilling stuff at all. Yeah. Um, I don't like it and, and it's fine, but I don't judge people because make your money. Yeah. Like I, like I write software for a living. You can't be like, yo, I'm not gonna, you know, you don't have to retweet or like what I talk about complicated software. People are like, yeah, I don't even understand that shit. I can't even like his tweet. Fuck it. I don't understand I, I half it. your stuff. Yeah, I'm going to be honest yeah, yeah. with you. <laughs> and that, that, that that's fair. But you see what I'm saying? Like the same can be applied to like the influencer model, right? Yeah. Make your money. I don't judge people for that. What I judge people for is for fucking be like, yo, this is the next Bitcoin. Like, fuck you. It's not. It's company ran. It's this. That shit bothers me. Yeah. Outside of that, if they're like, hey, look, this is what this token does or this is what this does. Cool. I don't care. Make your money. I, I support people who work, okay? And I support people who are willing to help themselves get paid. I don't like the idea that there are so many reply guys out here in the space who have garnered a following for fucking posting ridiculous dumb stuff that they're like some kind of revolutionist because they KYC bought some shit and they support dumb stuff. And they support companies who keep introducing overbearing or, or similar to bank tactics and, and yet at the same time they they're wanting people like me and others to like show them respect because they've garnered this many followers fuck you my old twitter account has seventy six thousand followers i don't need followers i don't give a fuck yeah, they don't they don't matter to people other than the influencers uh, then yeah. the followers matter but no i, I... I know I'm rational. It's crazy. I, right? it, it's shocking to just have such a rational conversation with somebody. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't had one of the big Bitcoin maximalists on the show yet because I feel like I would just lose my shit and freak out. Bro, um, Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, like, do you remember last, uh, what was it, last summer when they were all talking about 
uh, Bitcoin fixes like bad dietary trends, cancer, and stuff like that. Dude, right? Oh, hold on, hold on. I want I want to tell you something. So I I posted about this. I I don't think we were I don't think you were following me or I was engaging with you much back then. Um, I received a death threat Jeez. for fucking telling someone, and literally they called me, uh, and, and they were trying to dox me. Uh, which people know who I am, but they were trying to dox my address and a few other things. But I received a death threat because I told someone it was just software. And then I literally responded to Samson Mao about something he was saying that Bitcoin fixes all these things. And I said, no, dude, it's software. It fixes the problem that it does. It doesn't fix everything. Bitcoin's not going to cure world fucking hunger. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this, like me and Richard Hart were on his, his podcast one day. And we, and I don't like him uh, for for a lot of reasons, but you know, for for this one reason, we agree. Uh, Bitcoin it solves the problem of creating a trustless currency that doesn't require a third party to transact. That's what it fixes. Yeah. Outside of that, it's not socialism. It's not communism. It's not any of that. It's fucking software that solves a problem because it follows the Unix pragma, which is do one thing, do it very well, and. You know, if you're not familiar with Unix's operating system, but um, like literally when we talk about that, uh, people are like, oh, well, you know, uh, the, the thing is, is that, you know, Bitcoin can fix it. Okay, great. Everything has potential. Okay. You can't say it doesn't. Like that fucking tree that I'm looking at out in the yard right now, I think could be an amazing house, you know, can make someone an amazing house. Is it? Probably not because these people have had it grow in there for you know, 70 years. They'll probably die there. Um, or to get uprooted by a hurricane or a tornado. Um, the thing is, is like, yes, it has potential, but not in the way that it's implemented. The idealism and this altruistic movement where people feel like everybody needs to share their wealth, that shit don't work. That's not capitalism. Bitcoin is capitalism. It's about spending and using money. Yeah. And th there's capitalistic models involved in the chain economics. And that's a whole nother topic people don't understand is chain economics. But anyway, like, like the actual ecosystem stuff. But yeah, going back to the entrepreneurship, right? Like the, the shilling, the, the everything, like those are entrepreneurial traits, right? They, those are all things to make money. And what people got to realize is if, if they're making a software company in this industry, which that's all it is, is software or advertisement, you can't ever restrict yourself. Because the second you restrict yourself into that box and that box may go away one day, what are you left with? You're left with nothing more than a bunch of bills and people who are out of work. And people are like, oh, that doesn't happen. Look at the fuck right now. Look how many companies are down right now and ain't coming back. Yeah. It's, it just takes one event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really quick, as you were talking there, kind of, you know, this sparked into my mind. Because I, when I think of the influencers like, you know, Shil Nye, Wendy O, they're speaking at conferences, they're shilling tokens. Uh, yeah. I like both of those people. I've met both of them. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Same and, and uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with them at all. For some so, reason, I have a problem with the Bitcoin maximalists, but they're just doing all that, you know, as kind of a business. And I think that's their business model is to be this Bitcoin maximalist and then sell all the other Bitcoin maximalists on some sort of service or product. So uh, are we being a little bit, I guess, hypocritical? So there's a difference, right? So there's a huge difference in that, okay? It's one thing to hear like the Windios, the Shill Nyes, or whoever talk about whatever, e even like the, the Monarch guys or whoever, right? Like any of those people, Hacks are or Hacks, Hack Hero, whatever. All these people have their own products to sell. But one of the differences between the maximalist and them is that the maximalists aren't, or the maximalists are not okay with criticism. 
Whereas the Windios, the Shield Eyes, everybody like that, all these people who, who push these other tokens and stuff like that, they're not screaming your shit's garbage over this. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're not willing to take on doxing or putting in danger or sending threats, that kind of shit, uh, to those people. Do you see what I'm saying? The difference is like, yeah. uh, you know, you can say something to to Shill or to whoever. And they don't really care. You know, they just let brush off. If you say something to a maximalist about Bitcoin's, this thing that Bitcoin fixes being wrong, you just kick the hornet's nest. <laughs> and you're going to get death threats. You're going to get harassing DMs. You're going to get people who were fucking literally like saying very fucked up shit to you. Meanwhile, none of that applies to those other influencers. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, they're, it's not really being hypocritical. It's actually just calling a spade a spade. I mean, because quite literally these people behave a much different way like oh you're a bitcoin maximalist cool are you mining oh you are oh cool good good you run up here okay good do you do you transact bitcoin every day oh no you just hodl why aren't you spending it <clears throat> i'm hodling bro that's the future bro okay cool so what happens to that company you're trying to talk into taking bitcoin you ain't gonna send them any bitcoin doesn't that seem kind of fucking stupid you know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, this is why I feel the way I do. I, I completely agree with you, and that's why I say that I think that these maximalists are a little bit insane and that these other people aren't. I, I agree with everything you just said. Again, just trying to play that devil's advocate mm -hmm. and call us both assholes because... Because we are. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> I mean, I'm a known asshole. I mean, I'm, you know, people are like, you vow gang people are fucking crazy and fucking all this. It's like, no, we just don't believe in narratives and we just kind of like <laughs> piss people off because it's fun. Yeah, and, it's and, a good time. You know, like even last year, like with what happened to Carbon, right? Like, like that's a prime example of the difference between the the windios and those types of influencers versus the samson mouse and those types um and, and that's case in point jim friend arguably the best fucking meme of 2019 Hilarious. okay i don't i don't care who you are best fucking meme okay he DMCA, lost his shit yeah dmca strikes to get someone's account suppressed because they didn't like a meme that's no so against the whole yeah oh, oh wait a minute yeah, you can't yeah. say that. And then, then you got lop earlier this year and last year talking about if you get triggered on twitter you lost the game of tweets motherfucker you got triggered by a tweet bot yeah you scream contacted twitter's fucking support group just so you can get that thing shut down and meanwhile you're going to sit over there and say oh, i'm all about anti-censorship no you're not you're about anti-censorship when it doesn't apply to you and that that's that's the point it's like they all want it to be fun in games when they're supposedly winning. Which, by the way, the Maximus also make the worst memes. I don't know if you've seen some of them, but, like, they are terrible at it. Like, just horrible. And, and then they, like, want to pick on people, and they want to hive-mind it. Meanwhile, you own one or you, – you, like, respond, and you, like, literally shut their argument down. And all they do is they block you because they no longer want to deal with your shit. Because, like, now you're like, oh, well, I have no response, so I'm blocking and they have shared block lists and stuff like that. And that's the thing that trips me out. On, on one side, they're like, oh, censorship resistance, free speech, free this, free everything. Except we're going to create this nicely fitted echo chamber so we don't have to hear any opposition. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very <laughs> hypocritical. I've definitely commented on it before on Twitter. I actually tried to get uh, Mr. I, I don't know if it's Mr. Chalk or however it's, you know, the Mr. CH, the guy running the bot. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Chuck. yeah 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 so i talked to him i was like you gotta come on we gotta talk about this shit 
um, ha- haven't heard from him or haven't heard back on anything, but uh, it was actually something that was pretty serious at the time. Uh, it's just so very hypocritical. So, so I, w- I want to point out, going back to Jim Friend, did you see that Carbon and fucking Jim Friend were together on fucking Colin's show? Like, like that's the kind of shit that fucking trips me out. Is that fucking Samson and them did so much work to get that account banned. Meanwhile, the the person who broadcasted the meme and the person in the meme were both on a podcast talking together and both of them like be nice to each other and really, you know, like Jim Friend's a great guy, like super nice guy. Yeah. And you know, like people were just like, Oh, well, this is happening. And then like Samson and them want to go on this tirade. And he blocked me, which is kind of ironic because um yeah, like, like you know, I've talked to Bog, I've talked to Peter Willie and other people with Blockstream, and Mal's the only person from Blockstream who blocks me, and I find that to be hilarious, like, very, on, on very so odd. many levels. But, like, it's it also is because people in their minds feel that if you, by creating and crafting an echo chamber, it makes you stronger. No, it doesn't. It actually makes you weaker because if you never have opposition, you can never grow. And if you can't grow then you start shrinking, right? Like, like it's like aging, right? At a point, we begin to start shriveling up. We begin to start going down. The echo chamber of the maximalist has already been cracked and ruptured several times, and it's falling. Like, I don't see stacking sats anymore on the timelines. And I haven't seen it since last year. You know what? That's kind of fucking beautiful. I, I, I love I it. have seen it, but it's been from a bunch of my buddies who have now, like, taken over, and it's more of a joke. They'll, like... We're stacking sats. They'll put like little siren emojis and like trumpets and shit and like complete jokes now. Um, yeah, yeah, but these people today need to be stacking sacks of weed and uh, actual store values for when this shit goes like down. Guns, right? bullets, <laughs> like the yeah, important stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but okay. I, I do want to kind of try to bring it back in, yep. uh, wrap this up. I, I really yep. appreciate you sitting down and talking with me. You know, it's you. You've made me feel like an idiot a couple times just because I haven't understood exactly what you're talking about, but it wasn't in a bad way at all. And like, you did a very good job of explaining a lot of it when I didn't understand. So thank you for that. I really appreciate you're welcome. that. I try to, I, it's always good if, if people are like, if you talk to someone, they don't understand something, closed mouths don't get fed. So if you don't tell someone you don't understand it, like a lot of assumptions are made by the person who's talking. Right? Yeah, like, of course. And I, I try my best. To, to cover the ground or explain like like I am explain it to someone like who has no technical know-how right yeah because it's easier for them to relate it to something that they they already know versus something that's alien to them and and you know and, and that goes to, to like the store of value joke right like everybody's like store of value a fucking bottle of moonshine's a store of value when times are tough toilet paper right now in the United States is a store of value <laughs> Um, yeah, no. it's like my gold right now. Right. <laughs> and no, you're, you're right on what you were saying. You know, I, I think for the stuff that I didn't understand, I'm, I'm very okay with asking questions. You know, if I don't know it, I'll tell you, I don't know it. You explained it very well. So, oh, can you hear me? Uh Oh, ah, internet connections down. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. There we go. Okay. No, but what I was saying was, you know, I, I try to be, you know, even if I look dumb, I think, you know, I, I would rather ask the questions and look dumb and learn than just not ask at all. And I think that's a huge problem on Twitter, especially. 
there there is no problem like like and, and i'm going to quote south park on this um there are no stupid questions to stupid people and that's that that's actually 100 percent right because if you don't know something ask yeah and anybody who mocks you for asking they're in the wrong but if you know better and you're still doing the wrong thing then you're just stupid and that can't be fixed that's not a money problem at all <laughs> like there's no fixing that there we go uh so i do like to wrap up with like yep. a biggest tip um and so my question would be you know for adoption as a whole because you talked about you know getting your parents grand grandparents involved or your grandfather involved um yep. You know, how do we best do this without turning into, you know, a giant cunt? If uh, I can be, you know, as straightforward as possible. Show them how you transact it and actually transact it. Don't tell them to hodl. Show them that they can use it. Show them where they can use it. Show them how to use it. That means more than telling them, oh, you can put this money in and it's going to go up and it's going to make money. Well, they've heard that all their fucking lives, especially if they're older, right? Yeah. Like, like they've been hearing that shit since since they were kids. They they really don't need to hear it from their grandkids or their kids. Like they fucking, they hear that shit all the time. The, the thing is, is what you got to look at is like, okay, um, what's the value add proposition? I can send this like digital cash. Nobody can stop it. Okay, what's the best way of showing them that? by doing it to do it yeah there we so, go so if you do that you will innately show them that it is digital cash and from them being able to see it and, and visualize it and, and actually be able to do it themselves you're going to win their not only respect but they're also going to gain an understanding to see it you can talk about it all you want hodl this hodl that and nobody fucking cares about hodling you want to tell them the value as this is the most revolutionary currency. This is why blah, blah, blah. Show them how to use it. Show them go. using it. Yeah. Do it yourself and show them in front of them. This is how I buy something with Bitcoin. Boom, boom. Use QR codes, whatever the hell you want to do and, and all, or whatever method you choose. And then from there, they'll see it's like, okay, so it's like PayPal, except nobody can stop it. And everybody's had a problem with PayPal or, oh, or their bank 100%. Get, getting flagged for fraud or whatever because, you know, you're paying some company in Geneva, Switzerland to do something for you, right? You know, like, that's my point. By showing them how it is actually censorship resistant and showing them that they can obtain real usable software or tools or, or items, you've demonstrated the very big basics of the value add proposition of what bitcoin does or what any cryptocurrency is supposed to do and from there it sells itself in the sense that they'll use it but they have to have a reason to see they have to have a way of really relating it to something they know just like we were talking about the explaining stuff if you tell them it's digital cash but oh when you buy it don't use it they're like well i thought it was digital cash <laughs> yeah well like, that doesn't make any sense because in their world, they're thinking cash. I spend cash. I don't I use that. I match. Yeah. Yes. I, I use cash when I don't want people to know what I'm doing. Like, you know, for example, Bob's Go goes out with his friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bob's goes out with his friends, picks up a quarter bag of weed, you know, after I'm a blow and they go to the titty bar. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he doesn't need that, that, that paper trail. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like, like, 100%. nobody needs that. And, and, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, you show them. And by showing them, they'll retain it. There if we you go. Just tell them to hodl. They'll fucking what? What the fuck you mean? There's I'll no chance. My cash. Yeah. yeah, they don't care. <laughs> oh, it's an investment. Why do I need to buy some bullshit investment? You know, it's like I already have bonds and stuff from 
from back in the 70s and 80s. I don't need any investment. Yeah. <laughs> you got my 401k. I got this or I got this stock or, you know, I'm getting dividends from this, that, and the other. Our parents have been investing and grandparents have been investing a lot longer than all the people that are involved in this space. Right. And so to tell them that's just an investment and it's a speculatory one at that, like to them, what they just heard was, whatever money you just dumped into there, just expect not to ever see it again. Exactly. <laughs> that's what they heard. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you show them, hey, you got this money, you can spend it. And they're like, cool. And they're like, show me something I can buy that would normally create a problem. And you can go onto a foreign website that uses it and buy something for them and have it shipped. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, that's exactly what you said it was. And there it is. And this makes sense to me. You see what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I, I think the best way, like you are saying, is to just show it to them. Uh, you know, everyone's heard those get rich quick schemes and everyone thinks that Bitcoin's a scam. So for you to tell them it's an investment is just, uh, insane at this point. It's just a polite way of saying that, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's a polite way of saying, yeah, so this is a, this is how you get rich as hot oil. And and to them, they just heard, this is possibly a pyramid scheme slash scheme slash scam that you've been hearing for 20 other years of your life. So with caution right yeah okay and then lastly uh do you have any tips for the maximalists out there the i don't even want to name names i'm just gonna say the open-minded be open-minded and be cognizant of understanding that your beliefs whatever they may be could also be flawed and also understand that at the end of the day it is sulfur first and foremost uh you can say that it is more and that is great if you feel that way the problem is is that if you remove the software there is nothing and all the morals all the beliefs and everything like that predate that to the cypherpunk movement to the digital token movement and blind tokens as mentioned before by david sham in the 80s um all of, and, and there are already pre you know precursors to bitcoin yeah like e-gold all that stuff right and all of them had their own flaws and everything that, that led to, to the creation of bitcoin and all I can say is that don't be so quick to tell someone that they're wrong about something you don't fully understand. And the reason why that's critical is because while you may have garnered a hive mind influential piece of the Twitter pie, you are also facilitating the idea of cancel culture and suppression of people who are trying to bring legitimate arguments to the table, which prevents growth in the space. And that's all I have to say about that. Beautiful. I think that was su- <laughs> that was summed up perfectly, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm just going to end it with, uh, I think you yeah. need, they need to kill their ego a little bit. I think Drop it gets- some LSD, bro. Right. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Well, here's, here's a pro tip. <laughs> you guys need to go out to a Dead & Co. show out in the parking lot, oh, drop some acid. It. Hit a couple like, whippets. Go, I don't yeah, know. Do, do, maybe. Get the Nitrous Mafia. <laughs> like, fucking get out. You know, like. Like, and, and just like chill out and lose the ego yeah. and just like get caught in the moment of understanding yourself, understanding the world around you and understand that just because you read so-and-so's book doesn't make you some indoctrinated fucking leader. Um, and in no way is someone's book about the subject matter a definitive source. Now, a, uh, Andreas, he writes a lot of good books, both The Mastering Ethereum, Mastering Bitcoin. All those are, v- are very, very good books uh, that go into a very technical understanding, and that's important. Uh, but when people who don't have the technical understanding try to tell 
someone like me who has a, you know, a, a very deep technical yeah. understanding of Bitcoin from the ground up. Uh, and you're trying to tell me these things that you feel it is. And I can literally disprove your feelings with facts that are in the code or, or that are, are demonstrable you really need to stop and take a moment and it's not that my ego is big on it because i honestly don't care most of the time when they just talk about it's like religion to them but the pseudo cultism drives a lot of people away you know and 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 they see it like that man And, and it's really sad because there are people right now that i know who are bitcoiners that will never participate in any conversations publicly anymore about it and they haven't since you know 2011 2014 some of them and they'll never talk because these people uh, and some of them who tried to come back, all they get is this hive mind mentality of, bro, it's best performing asset, bro, it's this, bro. Okay, cool. That's great. But it's digital cash. And they're like, oh, you're a B casher. No. Like, literally, it's in the fucking white paper. It, it, it's, it's in the fucking title. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. I don't know when this store of value thing came about. It, like, I slowly just started seeing it more and more. And it, it trips me out, to be honest with you. And then they then they try to use this MOE method of exchange, right? Like it's like it's not an MOE, it's an SOV. It's like okay, cool. I, I get it. You read somebody's book and they're using these reference terms. That's awesome. But literally, anything can be a method of exchange. Anything can be a store of value. And they're like, "Well, that's not true." And it's like bullshit. I can trade a fucking bag of weed for cash. Yeah. I mean, that, that's I could trade a bag of or, or a bottle of gasoline or a bottle of moonshine or insert item here for insert whatever payment method I choose to accept. Yeah, exactly. Both of those are covered in that sense. All right, perfect, man. I really, but, uh, Charles, I was going to tell you, thank you, thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I try to have reasonable conversations about this stuff. Uh, a lot of people in, in in their world, they've built these echo chambers that prop them up that they don't see what's actually going on and it's funny and and you know they 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 talk about oh i i try i sold it on my grandparents over the holidays or trying to get my family or given the you know i'm sure you saw that trend where they're like you you know even jimmy song was talking about where they're like give somebody bitcoin but keep the private keys like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> so like, like fuck you yeah so like the exact opposite of what it should be yeah, like fuck you for that. Like, give, like show them how to create a wallet, send them some fucking coin. What they do with this, what they do with it. It's just like a fucking gift card or cash you give them. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Oh, well, you don't want them to lose it. It's like, motherfucker, when did you care that you gave somebody a $100 gift card and they lost for fucking it. their birthday? Yeah, and they lost it. When was the last time you gave a shit? Tell yeah. me that. <laughs> it fits the narrative here. That's why. Oh, narrative. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> I assumed you would, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I like I said, man, th- this conversation has been great. I I just want you to know that, like, um, keep doing what you do on Twitter, dude. I I quite enjoy your uh, your larping as if you're living with your parents and the whole punching in the wall. <laughs> I, I fucking love it. Between hey, man, you and, my door has wall- and- holes in it. <laughs> Well, between you and sometimes reading Blockhead, it's like you guys are subtweeting each other about some of this shit. I swear to God, dude. I post something and like three days later, I'll see him tweeting about something that has like exact same language. I'm like, he's subtweeting me right now. Some of you, like, all of his podcast tweets, they they crack me up. I love you guys. But like, people also don't appreciate good humor, man. Like, Like, we live in a society today 
And, and somebody even said something to me this morning on Twitter, like, can we just stop being mean? I'm like, fuck this. I want people to remove, I, I want anonymity like it was in the 90s. I want the shit show that we saw on AOL hell. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, God. Like, motherfuckers talking shit, hating on each other, everything. It was beautiful. And then, like, all of a sudden, now we have this, like, everybody's got a brand. Everybody's worried about the impression everybody gets from it. Who the fuck cares what people think about you on the internet? Are you getting people to use your products and services? Yes, then fuck them. Like, literally, like, like I have people right now who use software of mine that don't know they use software of mine, and they have me blocked on Twitter. It's beautiful. <laughs> Good fuck them. <laughs> I still that's get money. Awesome. I don't care. That, yeah, that's, a, care. that's awesome right there. You know, it doesn't apply. I'd say it doesn't apply to a couple people. Like some people have their brands that they've built up. They make their living mm-hmm. off of it. Good for them. But yeah, of course. for everybody else, it's the internet. Like stop being so offended. Have some fun. You know, be mean get every on once 4chan. in a while. Yeah, right. Get, get That's on, the get thing. On I've been on, on B. Ah, I've been on B. B. Yeah, I've been on B since I was in high school. So maybe I'm just a little numb to it. Um, you know, it may have ruined my brain a little bit, but that's, I think we have very similar opinions on what you should be doing on the internet and who cares what you do on the internet as long as it's not hurting other people. And by hurting, I mean, physically or like endangering the lives of children and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I have moral values about that stuff, but, and that's because, you know, those kids have no choice, right? Like, like, and you know, there's a gradient scale of that, but I'm a hardliner when it comes to that. Like, don't endanger someone's life. Don't endanger, don't dox people. Yeah. Like, if you get upset with somebody, reach out to them directly and be like, yo, that upset me. And explain to them why. Like, if you're having a hard time, man, most trolls, most people who are trolling are just looking for a good laugh. If you reach out to them directly and be like, yo, uh, you know, that I've had people me. do that. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, you know, I'm like, cool. You know what? I, I won't bother you, but thanks for reaching out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Hey, you know, if, you, if you're ever having a problem, you need an ear to, or someone to listen to you, like, you know, feel free to reach out and I, I'll drop it. You know what I'm saying? But like when they, when they get really freaked out and they start going over and, you know, and above everything, it's just like, that's, that's just adding gasoline to it. Yeah. Let me, let me <laughs> double down real quick. <laughs> let me go ahead and flip that motherfucker. Over. Let's do this. Right. Oh man, it, it's been a refreshing talk. I, I really do appreciate it. It's it's been a lot of fun. I I don't even know how long we've been on. You know, we've been on for like two hours. Yeah. So I, I, I got I got code to write, man. Like at some point, I gotta go make some dinner and I got a podcast episode to put out tomorrow. I gotta go as well. So again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.